Hello, good afternoon, good morning. Welcome to the Leading Coaches Center Mastermind Call. This is Susie Pomerantz, and I am so, so excited that we have Mari Smith with us here today. And before I introduce her, um, I also want to just thank everybody who has come to the call and signed up for the call, and I'm happy that you're here because I know it's a crazy time of year, and I know how many other things you could be doing with your time. And so I appreciate you for choosing to be with us. And um, we want to have the call be an open dialogue. That's our normal format for the mastermind. But if you do need to mute yourself, star six will let you mute yourself. Just remember to star six to unmute again so you can participate. And the call is being recorded, and it will be posted, as always, in the Leaders Clubhouse under Mastermind Live. And if you want to interact with us, live on Facebook while we're doing the call, you can do that at the Leading Coaches Center Facebook page on the wall there. You'll see I've posted a link to Mari's new book, and we can interact there and post questions or say hello or post comments as well. So we can interact in two ways. Um, and so let's just do a little quick go around and check in and say hello so we can get a sense of who's on the call. Tell us one thing about yourself, and then I will introduce Mari, and then we'll get going with um, all the wonderful, juicy things that Mari is going to share with us today. So who's here? Welcome to the call. Say hello. Hello. Hi. Hi, this is Kirk Canada here in Washington, D.C. Great. Yes, I work with a, I'm a, a coach here in Washington, D.C. as a career and leadership development coach. Um, wonderful. For the, for the past six or seven years, so. Yes, I'm in Glover Park, D.C. at Finding Your Zena. Yes, dot com. Thank you, Kurt. Who else is with us? Gary uh, Toronto. And Tom Cam in Washington, D.C. Wonderful. Welcome, Tom. Say hi to Kelly. <laughs> I will. Who else is with us? Hey, Gary, I heard you. Who else is joining us? Hi, this is Sherry. Hey, Sheree. Where are you now? Are you in down in North Carolina? I'm actually in New Jersey. Oh, in Jersey. Okay. Yeah. All right. Hi, Susie. It's Renee. Hi, Renee. I'm glad you made it. Welcome. Thank you. Anyone else want to say hello? Okay. I'm going to introduce Mari, who I am so, so excited to have this time with Mari today. So not only does Forbes magazine list her as one of the top three social media power influencers, she has over, just for those of you who like numbers, she has over 66,000 subscribers to her Facebook page, and that's just one of the social media places where Mari is prominent. And she really is the thought leader when it comes to using social media in relationship marketing. So this conversation that Mari's going to walk us through is not just about, you know, how to use social media or how to use more social media. Mari really is at the forefront of teaching people the importance of genuine, authentic relationships and how to do that in social media. Um, and Mari and I first met through Mike J, who some of you also know from this community, um, back in February of 2008. And 
I hired Mari as my Facebook coach in the middle of 2008 when I was first trying to figure out what is Facebook and how do I use this crazy platform. So um, I can tell you from first-hand experience. Thank you. I can tell you from first-hand experience that Mari is a dynamo. She's amazing. You will find out once you hear her open her mouth in a second. Um, but she really is a passionate social media leader, and her specialty is relationship marketing, particularly uh, on Facebook. And she's the author of two books. One is called Facebook Marketing, An Hour a Day, and the other one is the new one out called The New Relationship Marketing. And she travels all over the world giving keynote talks um, at top events, and she shares the stage with celebrities and um, the Fast Company magazine described her as the Pied Piper of the online world. So, um, so we are so delighted, Mari, to have you with us today. Welcome. Thank you, Susie. Truly, my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. And uh, is it really was it 2008? I thought it was more like 2006. <laughs> I know it feels like forever ago, but I was I was new to um, all the social media stuff right around then, right around 2008. Oh, right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and given how many changes have happened since then, it's just an incredible world. And I'm so continually impressed with your ability to stay on top of it and lead it and direct it and influence it. So um, really appreciate your taking time to be with us today. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me for sure, yes. So tell us about your journey. How did you become such a strong leader in the world of social media, and, and what do you want to tell us about relationship marketing? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure that uh, many of the listeners can relate to this, but uh, I consider myself an overnight success 10 years in the making. Because, uh, you know, you you work really, really hard behind the scenes and, um, not you know, you're doing your work and you're doing great. And it's not really until you have a, a really big breakthrough or, or momentum really catches up and you're able to create significant visibility. And what I find is that through building a platform, a sizable platform using these social media tools, these online social networks, is that you can actually create uh, significantly more visibility now than you could even, you know, five, ten years ago for sure. So my background includes working in internet marketing, copywriting, email marketing, web design, you name it, all that internet world. In addition, I've always had a passion and love for relationships and what makes people tick and uh, personality analysis and uh, coaching and uh, I'm a certified relationship coach. And you mentioned Mike Jay. And um, previous to working with Mike, I actually was working with uh, Harv Eker's company uh, as a success coach and doing a, a lot of coaching for, for marketers. And I kind of got a little disillusioned with the coaching world. Uh, back in 2006 because, you know, I sometimes I would work with clients for, you know, two years in um, different areas of their life and wouldn't always see much improvement. And it wasn't until someone introduced me to Mike J, who calls himself the world's most innovative coach. Isn't that his tagline, Susie? <laughs> Something like yeah, that, yeah. Innovative coach. And I thought, and his style just blew my mind. I fell back in love with coaching because of, his mastery around these personality analyses and then being able to coach and really do developmental coaching where you're surfacing or helping or holding the space to surface the answers from within the person being coached. Um, 
in any case, all of these different talents and passions and experiences, and then in 2007, an opportunity landed in my lap to be on the beta test team for a Facebook app. And it was a friend of mine here in San Diego who uh, teaches them. Uh, he, he has a platform called Pod Class, and it's where you can take and teach classes. And uh, a mutual friend introduced us, and then he's, he, had, he was absolutely ecstatic. It was like early 2007. He had just been approved as a Facebook app, and it was not long after Facebook had opened up their API, you know, their, their platform for, for developers. And I thought, well, gee, if I'm going to be testing out his app, I better go and get myself a Facebook account. And it was, quite frankly, I was a little bit of a holdout and um, because I'd been on LinkedIn, Academy, Rise, MySpace, Plaxo, all, Friendster, you name it, and really hadn't seen a whole lot of tangible results that I could, okay, well, this is really worth it. So, But the moment that I pulled up Facebook.com, I just absolutely knew. I, I was like a defining moment in my life. I absolutely knew that there was something different there. It was uh, the, the vibration, the white space, the ease with which I could connect with people whom I'd long admired, people whose books were on my shelf, seminars I attended, newsletters I had subscribed to, etc. And I just absolutely fell in love with Facebook, became a raving evangelist for the platform within a few short months, began teaching classes. And so what's fascinating about where, I'm, where I've landed now, I've never been so passionate about my career for, since uh, the last four or five years because it's the culmination of, of all the aspects that I love about teaching, speaking, computers, people, travel, technology, and I once had my palms read. A friend of mine does. She tells you your life purpose, depending on your lines on your hand. It's pretty fascinating. I would never have believed if I hadn't experienced it myself. And she says that my gift is taking the complex, simplifying it, and teaching people so that they really understand it. So then uh, I'm able to actually blend the people and relationship aspects, what I call soft skills. I write about this in my book where I differentiate between social media marketing or social networking for business, the hard skills, that's knowing what platform to use, what tools, what buttons to press, what happens when you click this link versus that link, or this button versus that link. That's all technical skills, hard skills. But what's so vital, which I think some people miss, is the soft skills because these friends, fans, followers, subscribers, you know, everybody that's in your network or every number, they're not a number, they're a person. There's a real person behind there. And so when you can bring in soft skills like empathy and compassion and deep understanding and um, listening and um, really listening between the lines for what's not being said. Okay, so can I ask somebody to mute, please? I think we're having a little bit of background noise. So if you're running the water, please mute your call, star six. Thank you. So, um, but yeah, no, I'd love to have a discussion about that, what uh, what you and your, your um, community here, Susie, feels about the soft skills and how to actually craft your messaging and put it out to the world in a way, in a way which is sincere, warm, authentic, transparent. We use these words a lot. Um, and transparent, I will just put a little sidebar in there, a caveat. I think what happens with transparency is it actually creates a lot of fear around using social media, especially Facebook, because Facebook gathers up all that data and they, and they always make it so enticing for us to share every tiny little micro moment of our lives, <laughs> especially
timeline. You can go back in time and fill in all the gaps if you really wanted to. But uh, there's a kind of a relatively new phrase I started to hear uh, a few months ago, and it's called selective transparency, which is kind of an oxymoron, but it's basically that you know, you're going to select the components of your life, the parts of your life that you are comfortable sharing with the world, and then and, you know that's what you post. Yeah, that's a great point, Mari. Also, the selective transparency. Um, but wouldn't you say also from a marketing perspective that you have to be conscious of what it is that you're selecting and who the audience is? Like when, you know, in your Facebook, if you don't have your settings just right, the whole world can see what you're posting. And you may think it's selective transparency to who you know are your friends on Facebook, but it could be going to a much wider audience. Is that true? Absolutely, and it's very fascinating that Facebook earlier this year, I think it's since Google Plus launched, so it's really been since the summer or early fall of this year, that Facebook changed up some of the, the verbiage on their site because the different audiences that you could post to in the past, it was uh, everyone. So everyone actually meant the whole entire public, the whole world, everybody on Facebook, certainly. And uh, sometimes, even if the, you, you weren't logged into Facebook, you can see content. But um, what happens is well, they change that to public. And, and, and I think they kind of took a leaf out of Google Plus's, Facebook, uh, Google Plus's book. Um, but no, I've heard stories. And there was a, a gal in the news, I want to say maybe about a year and a half ago. She was a teacher, a school teacher. And she was really upset with her, her, her job gets onto Facebook, starts ranting and raving and being critical and mean and uh, just really, really harsh and negative about her, her peers, her fellow teachers, about the parents mm. and about the children. And uh, thinking she's posting, as far as I remember, that, that probably she was posting to everyone, thinking that everyone meant all her friends, you know, all oh. 50, 100 friends. But, uh, of course, she, she, ended up, she ended up getting fired. Yeah. These comments, you know, and so I think there is an, an awful lot of confusion about who can see what. Um, there's actually a, a search engine that looks up uh, Facebook and, and Twitter. Oh, Twitter's typically public anyway, unless you hide your update. But it's called Currently. It's spelled with a K, K-U-R-R-E-N-T-L-Y.com. And you can go to Currently.com. Use it for market research or you know, just for um, gathering information. But uh, sometimes you could you can just for... For uh, amusement, you could actually put in something like "I hate my boss" uh, or "I hate my job," and you'd be amazed at how many people post stuff like that. And, and, and it's public; it's absolutely public. So that that resource was currently dot com. I'm gonna go ahead and post yeah. that on our mm-hmm. Facebook page. Yeah. Currently with a K. Yeah, with a K. It's a real time a real time search engine for Facebook and Twitter. Oh, that's great good for seeing okay. trends and things like that, you know, and just getting a feel. I like to kind of get a, sometimes I'll, I'll check it and get a, get a check the kind of the pulse. It's a little bit like trending topics on Twitter. You can always see where the world's at by what, what's amusing them on the trending topics. <laughs> so, Mari, how do you keep up with it all? If you're, if you're doing Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn and Google Plus and your own blog and, you know, you're writing books and you're coaching and you're speaking and – what what strategies do you have for um, managing just the sheer volume of it? Well, one of my favorite ways to curate um, content 
because uh, there's certain components of social media. There's content and there's connection. There's content which you can, you're going to put out across your social network, spaced out over time. But then you do need to come back and engage and build community and respond to people and, and, and invite conversation. But the content part of it, um, for me, has always taken a significant amount of time. And I'm actually, I'm, I'm always looking to improve my systems. But for, for several years now, one of the main ways that I, I keep on top of changes in news and finding content is through Twitter lists. And most of my lists are public. And so, for example, one of my Twitter lists, and you can go to anybody's Twitter account and you just look across the top tabs and you'll see uh, one of them is lists. And then what that, the cool thing with Twitter lists is you don't have to follow the people in the list if you don't want to, but you can follow a list. You can create your own list. It can be public or private. And so I have a list called uh, Facebook Social Marketing. So it's like everything to do with Facebook plus social media. Um, And I have 111 Twitter accounts in there. And then I can just glance. It's literally like reading the headlines. And I'm just going to glance through. What's wonderful about Twitter is the brevity, is the maximum of 140 characters. So I can really just, like, skim the headlines. That's a good way to do it. And I'm looking in there for content to then retweet and schedule into a site like um, a site like Hootsuite. Hootsuite uh, I use every single day, and that's H-O-O-T-S-U-I-T-E. And it's a fabulous platform that will allow you to pre-schedule way in advance um, uh, content to post onto Facebook, Google. I think they do Google Plus now, um, Twitter, and LinkedIn. I use it mostly for Twitter though. Because Twitter is a lot more about volume. You can't really just do you know, one or two tweets a day and, and hope that you're going to build a platform. Uh, I find that I tweet probably about six to ten times a day on average, and I'm going to be posting those about every 75 to 90 minutes. And there's different schools of thought out there. This has worked for me. This is my sweet spot. I know some people, like our friend Guy Kawasaki, who wrote the foreword for my book, he's, he calls himself a fire hose, and he's just all about the content and is like, tweeting every few minutes. That's pretty intense. Um, other things you can do, too, if you're on Google+, Plus, is you can put certain accounts into a circle. So you get the same idea. You're, like, pre-curating the news, putting all those uh, sources into one place. You can make Facebook lists. Um, and so those are different ways to find find the right content and then using the Hootsuite. Um, let's see. Then the, the managing of the time element, because here's the thing. Facebook, I find, and probably most people can relate to this. I go to Facebook, let's say my main, I've set aside some time, and my main purpose is to quickly check my profile, respond to anything there, my fan page, respond to anything there. When you go to Facebook, first thing you see over on the right is a new ticker, and it's moving real time, and you're seeing, oh, look at that. Oh, Johnny just got engaged. Oh, Mary's having a baby. (laughs) Oh, so, so, oh, look at those pictures. Before you know it, it's like two hours have gone by, and you're like catching everybody's <laughs> news. And <laughs> so you have to be really pretty disciplined when it comes to Facebook and, and have a timer and have uh, certain times during the day and have a checklist and be really rigorous with yourself about what you're going to be doing. It's a, if it's personal time, you'd be like, you know, interacting with friends and family and on a, on a social basis and you know, happy wishing happy birthdays, things like that. When it's uh, business time, you're going in and, and responding to anything on your fan page. You're finding, you know, putting content in there, things like that. But generally speaking, I think that probably really the best way to manage any of this social, the social aspect 
uh, is is to really create structure around your day and having having like I say like a checklist. Uh, otherwise, it can be massively time consuming. You also need to have ways to measure as well to measure results because. Um, you know, you can get to the end of the day and go, woohoo, you know, I added 10 more Twitter followers and five more Facebook friends, but, you know, what? how does that translate? You have to be able to look at some metrics and see how you're increasing traffic to your blog, you've increased sign-ups to your email list, uh, you've got more registrations for an event, different things like that. Obviously, you made, made a sale. I mean, that's ultimately where it's, where it's all headed, is to make, make the sales. Yeah, and so... It- how do you define relationship marketing by those metrics? So how do you use those metrics within your definition of relationship marketing? How can we really apply that to our executive coaching businesses, right? So what, say more about that. Yeah, well, what's interesting is uh, I actually called myself a relationship marketing specialist for about 10 years since the early 2000s. I had that as a tagline on my website. And uh, my publisher, Wiley, I had already done the Facebook marketing book uh, early last year, 2010, um, and they they actually approached me. They they came and asked me and said, "Would I be willing to write a book on relationship marketing?" They didn't want they didn't want to put out yet another social media book because the market had really become become flooded with with social media books, and they really liked the terms of relationship marketing. And so uh, I began to do some research. I obviously, I agreed. And uh, then when I was doing research for the book earlier this year, I discovered that uh, relationship marketing as a term was actually coined back in the mid-1980s uh, by Professor Barry. And uh, it had a bit more of an academic term to it relating to customer service and you know different uh, components of, uh, of running a business. But the real simple definition is that traditional marketing is transactional focused. Most people are focused on getting the sale right in front of their nose. They're just trying to close that one deal. Whereas relationship marketing is focused on the long term. It's focusing on building relationships so you can have clients for life. So social media lends itself. Obviously, when the term relationship marketing was coined in the mid-1980s, social media didn't exist. What's magical now is that social media lends itself extremely well to relationship marketing because you can very easily build friendships and relationships that will last a long time. The challenge comes with shifting the mindset from a a business perspective where most people, such you know, CEOs and CFOs and they're used to dollar in, dollar out. Okay, I'm going to spend, you know, a thousand dollars on this ad campaign. I, I want to get, you know, minimum ten thousand dollars back, and and get return on my my money. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't really work like that with social media, unless you do buy ads. You can buy ads on Facebook, you can buy ads on Google, buy ads on Twitter, and you know, you can really you could measure a campaign like that. But when it comes to your everyday social networking activities pushing out content, finding great, I call it cherry picking, you're aggregating or curating excellent quality, relevant content, you have an opinion and you're expressing it. It's not like you're just kind of shoving content out. You're actually, people can feel you in the content and you're you're telling people why you like it or why they should read it. And then you're engaging and responding. All of that adds up over time, and the shift in the perspective is now rather than okay, we're going to you know put this money in, and we're you know ten days later we're going to measure it. It could take anywhere from three to six months to begin really getting traction and measurable results through regular social media activity. 
And for most business people, they get they, they a lot of people will get really frustrated at that time frame. They're like, "Oh, I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to, and and uh, you know nothing's happening." And they reach a a, a, a plateau. And but it's it's really important to keep going. Consistency is one of the key elements. Even if you did only put two tweets out a day, but you were rigorous about putting those two tweets out a day for you know six days a week, take one day one day off. You can always pre-schedule it too, like I say. But mm-hmm. really, the emphasis is on remembering that when you're interacting with people, they really are real people, and you 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 want to shift rather than thinking, oh, good, here's somebody I can sell something to. You you really are befriending. Your audience, your target market, your uh, potential customers, and uh, and really relating to them as equals, as peers, and not you know, numbers on the list, like I say. Yeah, and I know that I could actually fill up this whole hour just shooting my questions at you, but I want to engage everybody in a dialogue sure. too. So I'm, I know that the folks on the call have questions for you as well. So if you've muted yourself, go ahead and star six to unmute, and let's, uh, you know, We've got the world's top expert here. Let's engage her in what you want to know about social media and relationship marketing. What are your burning questions? <laughs> yep, and they can be technical too. I don't mind if somebody's got any technical hey, questions. Hey, Susie, Mary, Mari. Hi. Hi. Hi, it's Gary in Toronto. Um, my question is, how do you balance the, you know, we, we've just come through a, well, continuing to be bombarded, and it's like so much instant gratification stuff with needing to wait for two or three months to get a customer. You know, when I think of, I, I publish an international coaching magazine called Choice, and I know from our audience that their biggest challenge in staying in the business is getting clients sooner rather than later. What are your thoughts? Right, right. Well, well. Hey, Toronto. By the way, if you guys, I didn't explain my accent, but I am Scottish and Canadian, and now I'm in California. I was born quite near Toronto, so I consider myself Canadian. But parents are Scottish. Lived in Edinburgh for 20 years. Mm-hmm. So I, I really understand what you're saying there, Gary. And here's the thing: like, I always like to 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 give people a reality check as to what 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 it could look like. What for most people is going to look like a period of time before they really get traction. However, that's not to say that if you have, obviously, a website, you have a funnel, you have a lead generation system, you have an email management system, you have a a system that will collect email addresses and allow you, with permission, to do broadcasts, then, like Susie's doing today, I think this is still one of the most effective ways to gather an audience, and if you choose to, to make an offer. So offering, you know, a free teleclass or I really love doing webinars and I use a webinar platform that allows me to be on webcam because I always say that the no amount of sophisticated technology will replace in-person interacting, in-person engaging. And you see, the, you know, you can shake people's hands, look in their eyes, see their body language, etc. But the next best thing is video and particularly live video. So I'm going to give you a resource right now, and it's called Meeting Burner, meetingburner.com. And you can actually do webinars for free for up to 50 people, and it has a little webcam. You can show your desktop or slides, chat with people, interact with them. There's many, many other ones out there too. I use one called Live Presenter, uh, livepresenter.com. 
Um, there's even some Facebook apps. Uh, if you have people on Facebook that you could um, bring them onto a webcam. Uh, the, the one that I would recommend is called Link2L-I-N-Q-T-O, L-I-N-Q-T-O, Link2L-I-N-Q-T-O, L-I-N-Q-T-O dot com. Um, but anyway, so that's one thing. Is like even if you could just set a real small audience, doesn't matter. Just start doing that, and especially if you were doing that on a regular basis. Let's say you did a weekly free webinar, you know, and covering you know the five tips to to um, whatever the area of the specialty is in, in coaching, and each time make a, make an offer. Um, even what well, something that's worked really well that I learned over the years through my own coach training was to offer. Um, you don't call it a free free coaching session. You actually call it a strategy session. And what you're doing during that, because when you have people on the phone, you're far, far more likely to be able to, to make an offer and, and have them be be excited about that and actually make the purchase, as opposed to compare that to putting out a tweet and people click on the link and they're just going to buy. Um, not too likely to happen unless they have that relationship with you, but they possibly will sign up for a re- free report, a free download, or you know, get on your email list. So what I'm saying here, is that listening to myself talking here, Gary, I'm realizing that so much of of traditional internet marketing still works today very, very well. The difference being that we now have these other channels through which we can gather up people to bring them into our own. Uh, platform, our own, our own uh, list, um, our calls, or top of the funnel, and uh, and then walk people through. Because I think that the, probably the disillusionment comes from when people think, well, they got you know uh, a $1,200 coaching program, and they're sending out some tweets about it, and, and hoping that someone's going to click on that tweet and, and sign up and, and spend $1,200. It's not too likely, uh, because you do need to work on that relationship. Um, but hopefully, hopefully that helps a little bit. Yeah, I think, uh, Mari, the key word you used there was uh, disillusionment, managing your disillusionment. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, because because people are thinking, oh, well, cool, I don't need to spend money on marketing and advertising now. Twitter's free, Facebook's free, but they're, but they're literally thinking that by just putting our offers out and uh, mixed in with a few pieces of content, that that you know people will be excited to take them up in their offer, but when the more the more uh, you can put yourself into the mix, um, I think that was really one of the keys to my own success is that people really feel that I engage. I don't differentiate between okay, well wait a minute, let me check your clout score here, which is a me- influence measuring thing. <laughs> let me just see if you've got enough. You know, oh I'm only going to tweet back to you if you've got over uh, 20,000 followers. You know, if you only got 200 followers, I'm not going to reply to you. I just never do that. I think that's just a load of rubbish because you know everybody is important to me. Everybody's equal um, by by virtue of them being on the planet. So um, I just I just really like to have a very engaged audience. Sometimes, quite frankly, I've had people that've been in my community for a long time. I mean, you know, up to two years, and then they'll sign up for something, and I'm just not attached. I don't mind if I'm helping person A over here, but person B is watching um, and observing how helpful I'm being to somebody, and they're, they're the ones that sign up for something. You know, you mentioned a great point, Mari, and that is the, um, the when you're just throwing your offers out there and hoping somebody buys, it, it doesn't. it's not effective, and it's really just like if you were to, you wouldn't walk into um, a chamber of commerce meeting or, um, any kind of networking event, or re- really even any gathering of human beings, you wouldn't walk into the room and walk, start walking up to people and going, 
hi, buy my coaching. Hi, buy my book. You know, like you, you just, that's just not how we interact live and in person. And it's so funny to me when people think, oh, great, here's this online platform. I'm just going to start pushing my offer out there over and over and over again without bothering to connect with human beings first to see who to be in conversation with and if it's even a relevant offer. Precisely, yeah. You absolutely hit the nail on the head, the head there, Susie, because it's, like, it's almost as if people forget their like normal courtesy and protocol and, and how you would behave if you were in a group, uh, <laughs> in a room full of these same people. You know, you'd obviously, it's, 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 sometimes people use dating analogies too. You know, you, you don't get married in the first date. You have a little bit of a courtship right. first. <laughs> get to know each well, other. And- Part of what I think is brilliant about all of these social media opportunities is that introverts and extroverts alike can take huge advantage of building relationships online. And um, it actually even in some cases serves the introvert better than the old traditional way of, you know, you have to go be in a room full of people and you have to shake a lot of hands and, you know, trade a lot of business cards. and. You know, yeah, of course we still have to do that, but I think that having being able to do that from the safety and comfort of your own computer screen, wherever you happen to be in your home or office, offers a lot of, I think, comfort and protection for folks who otherwise wouldn't be out in the game. You know, I 100% agree, and I, and I just really love the um, the distinctions uh, with the Myers-Briggs and the DISC, and Reese is one of my personal favorites, um, these different personality tools. And I remember back in 07 when I was first getting into Facebook and I was having this exact conversation about the difference between extroverts and introverts using social media. And I'm a raging extrovert. And uh, and, and I remember saying, oh, yeah, oh, Facebook's just awesome for us extroverts. We can just, you know, talk all day if we want to. <laughs> Someone made a point and said they were an introvert. And they said, oh, gee, Mari, you know that us introverts are absolutely loving Facebook because because we are able to be so much more introspective and reflective before we hit the post button. And I was like, oh, my God, it was like a light bulb came on a duh, of course. And I always remember um, our, our mentor, Mike J., um, fellow extrovert, but he said, you know, at times I think that introverts actually have have a better deal in life because they really can think through and and, and post much more or, or communicate much more thoughtful um, messages. So uh, I think actually what's fascinating, because I go to a lot of conferences and you know, blogging expos and things like that, and, and you can think that somebody's really super outgoing and, and, and uh, chatty <laughs> through their tweets and their Facebook and their blog, and you meet them in person and they're very, very shy. They barely look you in the eye and hold a conversation. I think there's a lot of shy people that, uh, on, on, the, on the Internet. Uh, Mary? Absolutely. Hello? Hi. Go ahead. Yeah, Mary, this is Kurt uh, here in Washington, D.C. Can you share with me um, any of your experiences with LinkedIn? Now, that's a different population group, different population of media-wise. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, they they tend to be more, you know, it's professionals, and so they link up with you and everything, but then again, there you go. Okay. 
Right. You know what's interesting is uh, over the years I've really, really tried my best. I have done everything I possibly could to fall in love with LinkedIn, and I just it just hasn't happened. <laughs> I, 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 being an expert, I really do love the communication aspect, aspect of both Facebook and Twitter and now Google+. But you know, there's just not enough hours in the day. I, I tend to not, not do as much on Google+. But LinkedIn, I have a very optimized profile. I have all the right pieces in place. I have great recommendations of a lot of contacts. But primarily what I do is um, I feed my tweets, actually, and a lot of people say you shouldn't do this. I always say don't feed your tweets into Facebook, So then, but the LinkedIn experts tell me don't feed your tweets into LinkedIn. But I do it anyway, so at least I have some content going in. But I know that uh, one of the key areas to, to really work on LinkedIn is the groups. Is to, you could actually join a group and get active in there and or start your own group around a subject matter. Um, you could actually, one of the really cool things you can do with a Facebook group or a LinkedIn group is if you have a program, say you have a coaching program, continuity program, as a benefit, as an added benefit, offer a closed a LinkedIn group, an invite-only LinkedIn group, if, if your audience is primarily LinkedIn, Hello. or uh, a secret I'm Facebook group. And it's just a wonderful way to add value and, and create a forum, create a forum for your members to interact with each other. I have several myself that uh, on Facebook that do really well. But yeah, LinkedIn really is a little bit of a different audience. It's a little bit more renowned for the kind of the um, HR and the, the corporate world. Um, and also you have to know, you're supposed to know the contacts. You're not supposed to just add everybody. Um, but it's extremely powerful. And there are, are major um, C-suite uh, executive level key decision makers from all of the Fortune 500 companies on LinkedIn. And I don't think you can say that for any other social network. So it just depends on your audience that you're going after as to what one you're going to select. I always say to people of the of the big four, there's LinkedIn, Google+, Facebook, and Twitter. Of the big four, you want to pick two to be most active on. You want a presence on all four, but two, one or two, ideally two now, that you're you're going to put more of your social networking time into. And those two should ideally be the ones that you personally enjoy the most and and that should have a strong overlap with the one that the greatest number of your audience also uh, engage on. So hopefully that's helpful. Yeah, that's a great point, Mari. And how so how do you stand out through all the noise out there, right? So if all these people are engaged in all four platforms, and, and not everybody is. Some people really just stick to one platform, and that's fine too, but there's still, if everybody on there is pushing out content and even just pushing out little updates and whatnot, how do you get noticed in all the noise? How does how does that work? Right. Well, at the end of the day, there's a, there is an enormous amount of noise. I always think I like to take the KISS, the K-I-S-S, keep it short and simple, and to go for less is more. Uh, I think the people that are very noisy and just tweeting every two minutes, not aside from Guy, Guy Kawasaki, he's a friend of mine, he's in a league of his own. But, but but if you're starting out and you're doing that, it just your followers will think, oh, my gosh, this is just too much content. It will dominate their feed uh, or their, their um, tweet stream. So I always think that err on the side of less is more. And like I say, around – Around 75 to 90 minutes is, is plenty of time to allow each tweet to mature, for example. And really giving good thought as to the content that you're putting out there. 
and you can actually establish yourself as a go-to expert, as, as a thought leader within your industry, within a specific niche within your industry. And so what ends up happening is when you focus the content that you're sharing on across all the social networks that you're active on, and it's around specific could be around a specific problem that people are having. And for for quite some time now, uh, I've really established myself as an expert on Facebook. And, and I always say to people, no, challenge me. You can ask me any question about Facebook, and, uh, and I'll know the answer. And occasionally, if there's one I don't know, I'll go and look it up, and I'll find the answer for you. And so people will you know, recommend me for, for answering Facebook questions, which is great. I'm really liking one of the reasons I, I was I was happy about bringing out a, a book that wasn't just about Facebook, my relationship marketing book, so I could broaden out and, and, and really expand my platform to be known more than just for Facebook. But the point I'm making anyway is just really to be uh, mindful about what content you're putting out there and add yourself into it. It's a really important tip that a lot of people will go through and they'll just retweet. And I rarely ever use Twitter's own retweet button because I like to craft my tweets. I talk about this in my book, actually. If you want to get more retweets, actually craft your tweet and put the person whose tweet it is at the back end. You'll see, if you look through my own tweet stream, you see I go via, if I'm retweeting, rather than put RT at person's name at the beginning of the tweet, which then people have to kind of skip over it to then read what the tweet is about. But you can absolutely, it's just absolute protocol to put it at the back end, just put via. And then, key point is I always make sure there's enough room to add my own little comment. I put that in little square brackets. So it's kind of like me saying, you know, thumbs up. And this is why I read this. This is one to bookmark. This is important read. It's a great article. And then so people can actually recognize what, what I'm, the message I'm communicating is I've actually read this. I'm not just hitting the retweet button. I have gone and checked this out for you. And you can trust that this is a piece of reliable content. It's very subtle, and it all adds up. And I think people don't even realize how important all of these little elements are. That what you're what you're moving towards is building up trust. That people can come to you, and anything you put your name to, people will think, "Oh my gosh! Oh well, Mari said it's good. It must be good." And uh, um, you know, I just really recommend that that's that's what you're striving for. Everybody striving toward that. That you don't tweet anything because it is absolutely is a form of endorsement. Every time you hit the Facebook like button, it's a form of endorsement. That's a great point. There, there was a question on our Facebook page, Mari, for you about um, the, back when you were talking about the platforms that let you do webinars for up to 50 yes. people. You mentioned Meeting Burner. Someone's question was, um, Gary asked, what is the best for up to 500 participants, whether it's free or something you pay for? Uh-huh. Uh, well, like I say, I've tried uh, instant. You can check out Instant Presenter, instantpresenter.com. It depends if you want the webcam element. If you want the uh, the webcam element, um, there's a few like they're a little bit more pricier. Um, let's see, Citrix, Citrix's products, the Live Meeting, that's Microsoft, Microsoft Live Meeting, or there's a Go to Webinar. They don't have yeah. they don't have Go to Meeting. Yeah, they don't have webcam um, ability though. Um, and and the thing with Live Presenter, if you do desktop sharing, which I do for technical teaching. At the moment, you can only have um, you can only have 200 participants. So I actually have two rooms with them. I have a 200-person room for when I'm doing teaching classes and sharing desktop, and then you can have a thousand-person uh, yeah, thousand-person room um, that to share slides. Just do, you can be on webcam. You can actually have a guest speaker on webcam, and you can give controls to other people. So it's an instant presenter. 
And link to, yeah, I see that Gary's put the link on the Facebook there, link com. Actually, link to will do, we've tested that one, and link to on Facebook, well, you can use it with or without Facebook, and that will do comfortably 500 I think they're only $8 a month. Really, really good people, too. I know the founders. Uh, the only thing with it, you can't do desktop sharing, uh, but the nice thing about Link2 is it's what's called many-to-many. So you could be on webcam, and you can give webcam controls to anybody in the room and really have a really cool dialogue. So then you could have like a panel. You could use that for a live panel. Well, Google Plus Hangouts is probably better for panels because um, with uh, Link2, you can only have one. It's kind of like the old two-way radio systems where whoever has the mic and the webcam, that's the only person that can be speaking. Um, but let's see, a couple other ones is um, TinyChat, uh, tinychat.com. That will allow you up to 12. That's not really a webinar per se. It's more of a chat. But tinychat.com will allow you up to 12 simultaneous people on a webcam. It's really cool. It's kind of like you can, and I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to all 12, but let's say you had like, you know, four people that you're doing a panel with. Um, that's really cool. And then if you want to record it, something like that, they don't have built-in recording. Instant Presenter and Link2 and Meeting Burner, they all have built-in hosted recording. You click a button, it, it's recording, you finish. You click another button, you get your link. It's, it's hosted, uh, recorded for you. But something like um, Tiny Chat, you need a recorder, kind of like when you, if you ever do a Skype video chat or something. And I would recommend something like Camtasia Studio. Camtasia, that's by TechSmith, techsmith.com, mm -hmm. T-E-C-H. Or uh, for Macs, my fellow Mac peeps, that would be uh, ScreenFlow, ScreenFlow for Macs. You just record your screen. Oh, that's great. Wonderful. So what other questions do folks have for Mari while we've got her? About anything social web, technical or relationship marketing or um, Google+, Facebook, LinkedIn, any of it. Mari, tell us about your book while folks are thinking of questions. Yeah, actually the... We were talking earlier about the transparency and whatnot, and, and um, one of the things I did early, one of the early chapters in the book is to talk about some of the fears that stop people from moving forward with social media. And one of them is that fear of the, the protecting their privacy, of exposure, of having to live in a glass house. And really the antidote to that is selective transparency. You decide. You are absolutely in the driver's seat, and you get to decide who who gets to know what about you. If you don't want anything, my three-point filter is this. If you don't want something splashed across the front page of a major newspaper, a New York Times, let's say, or found in a Google search in years to come, or proud of your own mom to see, then just don't put it anywhere near online, even in lockdown privacy settings. That's, that's my rule of thumb. <laughs> And so that's one thing. But interestingly enough, I speak to many audiences around the world, and one of the top fears that comes up is fear of negative comments. I've had entire industries that I've spoken to that they're very, very reluctant to put up a Facebook fan page for fear that someone comes along and says something negative. And it's a, it's a, it's a real fear out there. So my my answer to that is, is always to say, you know, embrace the negativity. Embrace it and actually completely uh, reframe it as an opportunity to demonstrate stellar customer service right out in the open. 
Now, there's different types of negativity because if someone's just being a spammer or what's called a troll, an Internet troll, just somebody who's out to just be a, a nuisance and, and make people's lives difficult for no apparent reason other than they love the attention. So the last thing you want to do with spammers and trolls or just, you know, people being negative for no reason is uh, is to engage with them. You actually do need to, to delete those comments and um on, on Twitter, you just have to ignore them. You can block the person, but you just you just have to ignore them. But on a Facebook, uh, Facebook, Google Plus, LinkedIn, your blog, anywhere these kinds of people show up, delete, block, ban, get rid of them. But where somebody is possibly has even a, a, a grain of truth in their complaint, or they've had some kind of situation, they've they've been put on hold too long, or they've got a product and it was broken, or anything that they might have grounds for being upset with you that's where you want to step in and have a policy in advance ideally where you know you you have someone who manages it have someone who moderates your pages they're going to step in and respond promptly you're going to offer them something to turn the situation around get on the phone with them tell them to check your email we just sent you a special gift or things like that so um but yeah so those are really powerful things you can do and that's what I start out with in the beginning of the book, just, just covering up front these perfectly normal fears. And then I go into a whole nine-step program, a whole nine-step process that will allow you to build up that large, loyal, and profitable network using the social web, as I call it. And uh, it's really, really important to, to, to you know have that profitable component there. You can build up a large and loyal network, but uh, you've got to be strategic about making your offers, putting in clear calls to action, um, now there's a really whole new area springing up on Facebook. It's going to be massive in 2012, and it's called F-commerce, like e-commerce, electronic commerce. We now have F-commerce, which is Facebook commerce. And if you have any products or services that you sell, obviously a lot of coaches here today, you can utilize a, a, com- a commerce app for um, and add it on right as a tab onto your Facebook page. You've got different tabs. So some of those um, shopping cart apps, if you'd like to to, to have them on hand, uh, I, I recommend is the ShopTab, ShopTab.com, or Tab Juice is one of my favorites. Just Tab J U I S, excuse me, C E, TabJuice.com. They're based right here in San Diego. Um, or another popular one is ECWID, E C W I D. It stands for e-commerce widget. So ECWID.com. So. Um, but yeah, so that's really what the book is about. It's uh, as a whole nine-step process to teach you how to build that large, loyal, profitable network. You might call it the social web, but to me, it transcends. <clears throat> True relationship marketing is not just online. Obviously, it transcends the medium. You get to decide what mediums you use. I'm sure many people here also do public speaking, do presentations and live trainings, and uh, I dedicated a whole chapter to that of how you can blend the online world with the offline world and to enhance both. So if you're a public speaker, there's so many things that you can do in advance uh, when you're speaking at an event or even when you're attending an event. You look online at Twitter and you're going to see if the event has a hashtag. That's just a tag with a pound sign in front of it that, that groups all the same tweets together about an event or a topic. And then you follow people that are going to the event. You tweet to your fellow speakers. It's looking forward to meeting you, looking forward to sharing the stage with you. Um, one of the things that I like to do is I go really, if I'm, if it's a real high-end event, is 
is people that I specifically want to connect with, which, which happens a lot, I'll create an Excel spreadsheet as a Google Doc, because I like to do it as a Google Doc so that my team has access to it as well. And I'll make a list of specific names of people that I want to connect with at an event. I'll look up their Twitter, their Facebook. I'll make some notes. Obviously, I've seen their avatar, so you know, know what they look like. And I'll you know, make a beeline for those people to make sure they've met them, have my picture taken with them, maybe interview them. Uh, and I might have specific goals, in fact, to, to connect with specific people and then follow up after, you know, tweet to them, it's great to meet you, follow up by email, send a handwritten card in the mail. All of these tactics, like you were saying earlier, Susie, is about just, it's, it's, almost, like, it's almost like networking 101, but people kind of forgot mm. because it's the Internet, and they think you can click a few buttons and, and shortcut the, the system, but, but you just put all your relationship building and, and networking skills into play by blending the online and offline world. And um, one of the things I know that you're passionate about is really making a positive difference in the world, and I know that a lot of the folks on the call are also really more socially conscious in that way as well, and we work with, we, we choose to work with socially conscious business leaders, et cetera. So um, I know you have a way of thinking about social, social con- conscious social media and applying social consciousness in the um, relationship marketing using social media. Can you share with us about that? Yeah, well, here's the thing that I really think that it's no accident that we have these platforms at our disposal and that I think on a on a, a really fundamental level, and I, I don't say this to too many audiences, but mostly only evolved audiences, so <laughs> that's what you got here, Susie. But I really feel that on some level that as a society, as, a, as a human beings, that we we actually co-created these platforms because we were hungry for more connection. And people talk about how the world is getting smaller. Facebook have recently released a study. They, they did, uh, I think it was an independent study done, that, you know, everybody's familiar with the six degrees of separation. Because of mm-hmm. Facebook, 800 million users, they've officially reduced that to four degrees. We're now only four people away from anybody in the world we want to know. And so what's happening here is, to me, the world's getting more connected. And... The, the profound changes that are happening. We saw the big revolution in Egypt. We see what happened in Iran. We see when there's any kind of disasters and people stepping in and helping. And and there's just it seems like there's more more compassion. If somebody lost a loved one, there's this, it, floods of compassion coming forward. And um, I think there's been more school reunions and family reunions and people finding that tracing their adoptive parents or their or their birth family, things like that, family of origin. Um, but apparently there's more more uh, marriages through Facebook and social media now than anything before. And so I really do feel that these social sites are an extension of, of, of humanity. They're, they're a micro of the macro, but they're actually soon becoming a macro of the macro because we have this opportunity to connect with anybody in the world. Mm. And I think that when you can be mindful, there's already plenty of negativity out in the world. And I'll give you this one, one tip I learned from my own spiritual teacher who I've been working with for almost three years now. It made an absolute profound difference in my life, my career, my finances, everything. I, I actually went through a personal transition. Some of my friends and I call it a restructuring, a relationship restructuring, a.k.a. divorce. <laughs> 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 in uh, 2000, 2009, I was very, very happy. Best thing I ever did. And um, But just sometimes oh. just things don't work out. It's time to move on. But... 
But what happens is that when you do profound work on yourself, I always say the best investment you can make is, is working on yourself because your outer world always reflects the inner. And my spiritual teacher has this as a, a question. I use it as my mantra every day, and that is, what is my deepest intent? What is my deepest intent? So before I hit that post or tweet or you know button that, the button that posts content out to the world, I'm asking myself, what's my deepest intent? And that helps to keep the ego in check. It helps us. If you, if you get the answer bubbles up of, oh, well, I'm not trying to make myself look good. I'm you know, trying to put somebody down here because they're wrong and I'm right. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. We don't want to have that intent out in the world. Let's let's uh, delete that and start again here. And, and my deepest intent is to add value, to lift people's spirits, to make someone smile, to, to give them a gift with no agenda or expectation of return. And uh, it just makes a profound difference. People can feel that. They feel that energy when you when you, they feel your intent. They really do. So. Mm. I really love that, Mari, because I know you do that. You live that, and I see that in everything you post. You just ooze through the screen as if you're talking to somebody live. And I think you're right. I I know as a as coaches we read people's energy, but I, I never thought about it that way until you just said that that. Everybody's reading your intent. Um, they can. Yeah. It, it just come. That's huge. <laughs> I never yeah. thought about it that way. Yeah. Wow. And it's so easy to misconstrue as well. You know, you can read. Um, I can talk about this in my book about how easy it is to just. You know, you see something go by, you knee jerk reaction. Oh, you take it personally. You're in reaction, and we have this saying that when emotions go up, intelligence goes down. So, <laughs> last thing you yeah. want to do is respond in a knee jerk, and, and and before you know it, you you sparked a, you know, um, a negative situation without without keeping your emotions in check. So yeah, it's really important. Emotion. I'm a big fan of emotional intelligence. Daniel Goleman's work. Chip Conley. Yeah, that's great. So, um, gosh, I can't believe time is flying, and I just want to give uh, one more shout-out. Is there anyone who has final questions for Mari before we um, find out more about where we can get your book and where we can go for more information about you? Um, any other questions? Okay. So, Mari, tell us where we can find out more about your book and you and where you'd like people to engage. Sure, absolutely. It's just marysmith.com, and they can uh, find out more about my book there. And I know you've got some links on your wall, too. They can click through to that. I'm offering some free webinars. I've actually got uh, three webinars coming up in January to, to, to go along with the book and go through some of the content, and they're just totally free. And then... Um, they can actually see the trailer and everything. They can get to it by my, through my site, but just relationshipmarketingbook.com takes them to the official book page. And then every social network, I'm Mari Smith, so facebook.com slash Mari Smith is my fan page. You can also connect to me on my personal profile, which is facebook.com slash Mari S, just the initial S. Twitter is Mari Smith, Google+, Plus, LinkedIn, all the above. But I'm most active on my, my Facebook fan page and Twitter, so those are the best ones. To reach me on. Wonderful. Mari, thank you so, so much for being with us. And um, just as a placeholder for everybody for next month, um, January 25th at noon is our next Leading Coaches Mastermind. We'll have Mike Jaffe with us, and he's um, going to be sharing about his new book that was his wake-up call um, after not going into work uh, on 9-11, and it turned out he worked in the building where the plane hit, right? Actually, the plane hit his desk, <laughs> and he wasn't in it, and uh, that ended up being a great big wake-up call. So he's going to come share with us in January on the 25th. 
Um, and Mari, thank you so, so much for your time and all of your wisdom and insight today. And it's great to hear your voice again. And I wish everybody happy holidays and a wonderful new year. Thanks, thank Susie. Thanks, Mari. Thanks, Susie. Happy thank holidays. You. Thank you very much. Cheers. Bye-bye.